All right, buckle up, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Staying Connected. I am your host, Dr. Ian Bulow. And on today's episode, this is actually a recording from the Expect Miracles podcast with a good friend and colleague, Dr. Kevin Pekka. Now, this is a long format, Joe Rogan-esque kind of uh, podcast where I chatted with Kevin for 45 minutes. So what's cool about it is we go into all things chiropractic, you know, the philosophy of hope and healing that comes with chiropractic, what got me into upper cervical chiropractic and some of the pros and cons and the things I love most about doing what I do professionally. So if you want a deep dive into chiropractic and upper cervical care specifically, this episode is for you. Thanks for staying connected. Enjoy the episode. My name is Dr. Kevin Pekka. I want to make a podcast that exposes people to the true miracles of life and health. All the guests on this show have been specially picked because they bring something positive to the world. They have some of the most amazing and inspiring life stories. These people have a passion for living, healing, and leaving the world better than they found it. There is something inside these people that made them keep fighting through all the tough times, even when people told them it was not possible. They carried on and made their lives beautiful again. And now they are sharing their experiences with the world. This is the Expect Miracles podcast. Enjoy the show. Today on the Expect Miracles podcast, we have a recurring guest, Dr. Ian Bulow. Dr. Bulow is a Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractor out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He also has a podcast called Staying Connected. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check that out. Dr. Buell is a wealth of knowledge on all the different upper cervical techniques. And on today's episode, we are going to go over the handful of different upper cervical techniques and the similarities and differences between them. Now, some doctors out there say they are doing upper cervical chiropractic, but there are definitely some qualifications that need to be established to make sure you are getting high quality upper cervical care, which Dr. Buell also goes over. We also go over the, what might be the best technique for you where students can learn the upper cervical work, and how to find an upper cervical doctor near you. Please welcome Dr. Ian Bulow. So today on the Expect Miracles podcast, we have one of my favorite Blair upper cervical doctors, Dr. Ian Bulow. Dr. Bulow is an upper cervical chiropractor out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dr. Bulow, how are you today? I am doing really well, Doc. Beautiful. Being here. Yeah, so I've been getting a couple requests from the listeners about the different types of upper cervical techniques and chiropractic. Sure. And you are probably one of the most perfect guests for this because you've done the upper cervical diplomat, which goes into great detail of all the upper cervical techniques. You're able to learn from all of them. You get to able to meet all the different doctors in that field. And you're not a technique basher, which I also like about you. You're, uh, <laughs> I try not to be. Yeah, you're, yeah. Yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're open to everything. So that's sure. why uh, I think it's a great episode to have you on. And it might even even make more sense if we backed up a little bit to why upper cervical chiropractic even started and then how it even trickled down from there and uh, how it's evolved into what it is today. I'd love to roll with that, Doc. We're blessed to be in the profession that we're in and help the people that we do every day, you know. And upper cervical is really just one of the purest versions of the principle of chiropractic that we have. So 
if we're going to go back to the beginning, and I'll keep it short, I won't spend too much time on this, but just so people can get my angle, the way I look at it, is that I grew up with the understanding that life is intelligent and life is a miracle. And when you look at human beings and you look at animals and you look at life, it's all intelligent. But in human beings, we have a brain and a nervous system that controls that life. So if we can just help that run better without any interference, we expect that the body can run at a higher potential. So one of the first areas that the body can, the brain and the nervous system can be negatively affected is through misalignments of the spine. The spine, if you think of how important it is to not have high blood pressure, imagine how important it is to not have high nerve pressure. You know, arteries and blood vessels have to go through these arteries, right? Well, your nerves have to go through channels as well. The holes inside of your spine, one of the first and biggest holes is the one at the base of your skull. And so when I was going through chiropractic college, for me, I was looking at the spine as being one of the most important things to maintain in proper alignment and subluxation free, free of any misalignment, creating a disturbance or neurological interference. And um, this stuff called upper cervical was, you know, these doctors that exclusively look to maintain a healthy and clear subluxation free upper neck, you know, make sure that where the head sits on the neck, that there's no misalignment that's affecting negatively the quality of information going between the brain and the body. And my initial reaction was that that sounded too good to be true. And it didn't really make sense. Like how would that help someone with low back pain? How would it help someone with a neuropathy in their hand? Like what does my neck have to do with my foot? You know what I mean? Absolutely. But I came to find to be true the same thing that the developer of chiropractic came to find to be true. You know, D.D. Palmer founded the profession in the late 1800s and his son B.J. took it over. And after years and years of research, B.J. found that because the spine is so incredibly strong and stable with the cushions of the discs, the ribs, the big muscles and all that, as a whole unit, and actually as individual parts, it's hard for individual parts to not stay in alignment. The body's got a lot of checks and balances for everything. That's what makes the body so incredible. There's checks and balances for everything. In the upper neck though, the checks and balances are a little bit more complicated. You know, if the upper neck goes out of alignment, the neurology that is there to correct that misalignment is affected by the misalignment. So it's inherently incapable of auto-correction the way the rest of the spine is, you know? And then you got a 10-pound head on a little bone that can fit in the palm of your hand. So the leverage to auto-correct is really hard. It's much easier to fix crooked head by the big, strong shoulder muscles leveling off the eyes and ears because the body, the brain wants the eyes and ears level. So if my head's crooked, my eyes and ears are crooked. So then my shoulder muscles have to pull that head back. So the eyes and ears get level, but now my shoulders are tight. And if my shoulders are tight, my back gets tight. So very quickly, maybe not quickly, I'm a little thick skull like we all are, but it, after a while I realized, well, hold on a second. It's not just about the neck. It's about the whole nervous system and it's about the whole spine. We're just using the head as a steering wheel mm-hmm. to correct the alignment of the rest of the spine, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And so for me, that's what it was about. It, that, I mean, it, that was all like the analytical side of things. That combined with just the amazing stories I was hearing. And as you talk about every time you do a podcast is the miracles that we experience and the life-changing power of correcting that and opening up the channels and blood flow in and out of the head, that really made me go all in on this thing called upper cervical chiropractic. And over the last 10 years, I went from being a practitioner, being an instructor, an educator, 
to where I'm now president of the Council on Upper Cervical, which is an international guidance body for education and research and politics and things like that. And so I've been able to like look across over the fences and talk with the different upper cervical procedures that are out there. Because to your point, there aren't many actual bashers. What there are are people that are just misinformed mm-hmm. that you know, haven't had a full rounded education. Like we all were, we were educated by our mentors, but our mentors yeah. came from a generation where there was a lot of ego and a lot of dogma. But our generation, I would say, is way better, way less egotistical. And- yeah, we're a little bit past the dogma. And I'd like to think that we're past the egos as well. And we're way more inclusive, way more communicative. And it's not about... Than it ever has been. Yeah, way more. And it's a good principle, I think, to live by. It's not about pointing out what someone's doing wrong. It's about finding out what they're doing right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, everybody can't be wrong. Everyone has to have... Like, one of my favorite principles is, like, what makes us amazing in certain areas of our life is actually what makes us vulnerable in other context or areas. Meaning what? In our technique systems, what makes us strong in the wrong patient might be a weakness. Maybe we need to look at this other technique, this other procedure, because what their strengths are may, in fact, be my weaknesses, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's what the Council on Upper Cervical is all about. It's about learning about this stuff, researching it. We have our Diplomate program, which is a 300-hour, three-year program where doctors can get certified in their technique system, in their protocol or procedure, but then also get their diplomate, which basically means you start to learn about the conversations that are happening all around the profession. And so that's why I do it. That's what I've been up to. Right. And we all have the same overall objective is to clear out all the interference between that craniocervical junction so people can just function to their optimal potential. That is the goal across the board between all the techniques. Restoring life from above, down, inside, and out. That's what it's about. That being said, how many different upper cervical techniques are there? that are recognized right now? That's a great question. And it's a little bit of a loaded question, right? We have a lot of different techniques. I mean, I can manipulate my own neck right now. If I tried really hard, I could push on my chin, I could crack my neck. And because I cracked the upper neck, I moved it like cracking your knuckles, you know, you pop a joint, you increase its range of motion and all that. Does that mean I just administered an upper cervical adjustment to my neck? I mean, it could, it could technically. That's the question, right? I could fall down a flight of stairs. Was that an upper cervical? It's like the Simpsons, <laughs> the, the trash can technique. You throw them over their back. You hear a lot of popping noises. How do we define that? How do we define what is an upper cervical chiropractor versus a full spine chiropractor, considering that upper cervical affects full spine? Mm-hmm. How do we distinguish between adjustment versus manipulation? How do we do all these different things? Now, the council's working on that. What my definition of an upper cervical chiropractor is someone that is looking darn near exclusively at the upper neck. That's where they're going to intervene pretty well exclusively, right? We're not going to make it a regular practice to manipulate joints of the body other than the upper ones. We're not really manipulating. We're aiding in the restoration of alignment, something we call an adjustment. Right. And we're doing that pretty much exclusively to the upper neck. That would, number one. But again, I could manipulate my own neck exclusively, but if I did that, I wouldn't consider that being an upper cervical chiropractor if I just fell down the flight of stairs and crack my upper neck. Right. So it requires more than just the exclusive attention to that area. It requires a very thorough analysis, a very conservative analysis, postural and thermographic and palpatory exam findings, not always adjusting, checking to see when adjustments are needed, 
So there should be visits where you don't get an adjustment because you're actually stabilizing. Like that's yep. a common thing. And that could be mind blowing to like people that have never gotten the upper cervical care. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm not getting adjustments today. And we're, we're ecstatic. We're like, yeah. everything's already in place. You were talking about how the idea of holding the alignment is a new concept for some folks. The way I explain that is that let's pretend I had a broken arm and I had it put in a cast, right? I go to the doctor, I have it set in a cast. And then I go back the next week and they do some evaluations. Maybe they take an x-ray and they say, you know what? Everything indicates that the bone is in the cast in perfect alignment, but it's our policy in this office to remove your cast two times a week, reset the bone, and then we'll reset it next week and we'll cast it again and we'll reset it and we'll cast it. If you were that patient, you'd probably run for your life because that seems very traumatic. It seems like it would hinder the healing, you know? Absolutely. So in the same way in upper cervical, what we would expect to be a normal experience would be that you would need to be realigned in the beginning. And then you would need to be checked to see if you're holding that realignment. And if you are holding that realignment, you should be left alone. And if you're continuing to be realigned or adjusted without holding, then a reassessment needs to be done because obviously something's wrong. You should hold. Otherwise, there's no justification to back off on your visits. So upper cervical chiropractors tend to be very analytical, very conservative. And the actual upper neck, the upper cervical adjustment usually is determined or formulated by some advanced images. Mm -hmm. We're taking very specific x-rays. We're reviewing MRIs. We may even review CT scans. We're doing some very analytical work. And those three things, in my opinion, are what classify someone as an upper cervical chiropractor is the exclusivity to the upper neck, the very thorough and conservative analysis before and after adjustments, the resting after the adjustments, and then the image-guided adjustments. We're not just going in adjusting off of palpation. We're going in and adjusting off of objective measurements that will be as least invasive as possible to that patient and as gentle. Would you also throw in the Titron scanning to measure nerve interference? Do you think that's a staple for an upper cervical doctor? I would say within the world of upper cervical, in terms of analysis, you actually have about four or five ways of analyzing the integrity of the spine. So you can do a postural structure one, so standing straight up, right, and see how the head and shoulders are tilted and twisted. You can do the same sort of thing lying down, but you're just looking at if the hips are higher because one leg will appear shorter, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of the same as standing. It's less information, actually, because you're only looking at the feet binary if the hip is short on yeah. one side and versus the other. And you're taking gravity out of the equation. But it is binary, which makes it actually very repeatable and very reliable. I can look at the feet and measure it with a measurement. It's a millimeter. It's two millimeters. It's a quarter of an inch. It's three-eighths of an inch. I can get that where measuring standing posture to do that, you need some special equipment, the anatometer, the GSA, the gravity stress analyzer. So my point is you can look at the structural integrity, right? Both standing and lying down. We can palpate. We can palpate the muscle tension, the swelling of the nerve endings in there. And then we can do thermography to see, assess how the sympathetic nervous system is, how much stress is on your autonomic nervous system. Because we know the lower part of your brain, which is right above your neck, is the governance driving system of your autonomic nervous system. And I would suggest out of those three types of analysis, you need at least two. So 
An upper cervical chiropractor may only do leg check and palpation or standing and palpation, or they may only do thermal scanning and a leg check or thermal scanning and a palpation. But I think you need at least two of those three okay. to be really thorough. And I would argue that I like to do all three. I think there's a justification for doing all three. So I'd like to see us as a profession do all three. But I think as long as people are doing two out of those three, we know that they're being very conservative. They're using tests that have been proven to be related, that are, are valid and reliable. You know what I mean? There's reliability Absolutely. and validity to all of those tests. But in my mind, you've got to be doing two of those three. And you should be doing them before and after the adjustment to assess whether or not that you actually did your job. You know what I mean? Whether you had a change, right? Absolutely. So I think that's all part of it. To get to your question, though, and because I, I know these are some long explanations here, but it really does set the groundwork to where we can actually talk about what you want to talk about tonight. So the, the amount of procedures that are doing that, by definition. That was a good segue. I, that's important. Yeah, doing those two to three checks and are doing advanced images to figure out how to then move forward, right? I would say there's probably about a half a dozen different organizations out there right now that are certifying people. And they are slowly coming into the fold with the council and being what we call affiliate organizations, which is basically saying they've been vetted. As a council, we've reviewed them. The council is made up of board members that are a part of all these different techniques. So it's a multidisciplinary, nonpartisan, as much as it can be, nonpartisan, nonpolitical body, nonprofit, all that stuff. And we're reviewing them to say, yeah, you are teaching that. Yes, those are good, valid, reliable processes. You know what I right. mean? Well, because you also get the people that say, I do upper cervical, and then you watch a YouTube video, and you're like, what the hell was that? I've never seen yeah. that before. So yeah. those are definitely very important checkpoints for patients and for doctors to be like, yes. that's not upper cervical. It's quality control, but it's also sustainability. I think this is really important. Anyone in our profession that's watching right now, it's not just quality control. It's sustainability. If you were certified by a given procedure, what happens if that procedure is really only one person's word and say? They might change with the wind, number one. And number two, what if they, heaven forbid, they die? You yeah. know what I mean? Like we want your patients to be under a procedure that has longevity. It has reproducibility. Research. Yeah, reproducibility, sustainability. Mm -hmm. Like this is about quality patient care, but it's also about the sustainability and progression of our profession. So we want everyone to do well. We want to help these organizations as a council. We want to help them grow. Maybe they've never had a board before. Maybe they've never had a research project that's done. We want to give them the tools to do that. So my point is, there's about a half dozen techniques right now that I would say are upper cervical. And then I would say there's about four that are currently affiliate organizations within the council, and that is growing, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, if anyone wants, there's a great resource out there called ucreferral.com. Dr. James Beadle came up with a referral map that the doctors listed on that map, to be listed on that map, need to be certified in one of those half dozen or so techniques, right? So it's at least some filter. Now, they may not be affiliate organizations, right? The council may not have vetted them, but at least the organization purports to be upper cervical and the doctors listed are certified in those techniques, not just members, but certified. So it's a good way, it's a good litmus to see who's in your area that's at least trying to be you know, advanced and is really working on it. It's getting certification and yeah. all of that. I think that's one of the reasons why a couple of people have been requesting this because they hear a couple upper cervical episodes. It's like, great, I want to try it. Then you get on Google and it's like, 
I got Nuka, I got Blair, I got Atlas yeah. Orthogonal. What do I choose? What's going to be the best for me? With that, I'll kind of um, give my best explanation. You know, we're all after the same goal for the most part is structural alignment, right? We want the alignment of the bony structures and neurological integrity. You know, when you have that, it's what we call running clear or being in balance. The brain and brainstem are doing as best they can running without a chiropractic subluxation, right? So the difference in techniques really comes down to, I would put the assessments aside because those three assessments that we went over, I happen to think that thermography is the most important, but someone else might think that posture is the most important. And we could probably have a nice debate about that. So for the purposes of this conversation, I think we can kind of say, let's just put that aside for now. You know, we can debate that and we can do all that, but let's just say that assuming that the doctor that you're seeing is really good at what he does or she does, then those differences shouldn't matter as much. We'll put the assessments to the side. So with that, and by the way, we all should be doing all of them. So I don't think those are differentiators. I think at the end of the day, everyone should be doing all three of those. So I'm just going to set them over here. There are some differences. Some people do more scanning. Some people do more posture, but we're just going to move that out of the side. With that said, the main differences then are in the type of imaging that's done to see if you need to be realigned or not adjusted, right? If you have a subluxation and if you need to be adjusted. And then of course is the actual technique. What kind of impulse or procedure is done to your spine and your neck to bring about the correction of this condition known as an upper cervical subluxation or misalignment that's affecting the neurology in the area. So I'll go over both. The type of imaging is a pretty big difference. But again, if you were seeing an expert in each field, it shouldn't matter as much. It's different, yes, but if they're yes. doing their job right, Agreed, yeah. it shouldn't matter as much, right? So some doctors, are, I, I, the way I explain it is like this. Half the profession is looking at your neck like looking at a crooked finger. If you make your index finger crooked like a shrimp, you look at that finger like a hook, like a captain hook, and you say, this finger should be straight, but it is crooked, right? And so half the profession is going to look at that curve, and they're going to say, well, if we just pull on the tip of the finger and flatten the whole thing out, that will achieve the goal of straightening the finger out, right? The other half of the upper cervical profession says, well, I think it's this knuckle that's causing the problem, so I just need to fix that knuckle, and then maybe fix this other knuckle over here, and the whole thing's going to straighten out. That's a good analogy, yeah. You're after the same goal. Yeah. One is looking at a global correction, not really worrying about the knuckles, and the other one is trying to fix the knuckles and assuming the global will take care of itself. So they both yeah. have their assumptions. They both have. Now, that leads to the difference in the corrective procedure. If my procedure is more global in nature, if my goal is to globally correct things, then my procedure is going to be more global. I'm going to put an impact into the neck that's going to affect all the structures at one time. Maybe it might be slow and gradual, like a stretch, like stretching a hamstring. Or we might put some pressure in the neck to kind of unlock and stretch and restore alignment of the weight of the head over the neck all at the same time. And those are what we call orthogonal procedures, where you're on a table that kind of tilts your head a little bit and tilts your shoulders a little bit. And then there's a single impulse with an instrument or a slow, gradual pressure with your hands. And those techniques usually are going to look at your posture standing up. They're usually going to look at your posture lying down. They'll sometimes do the thermal scans, 
but they're more concerned with your posture. And the assumption is when I get your head straight over your shoulders and hips in line, I'll be able to stand against gravity, so I'll have less structural problems. And if I do my job right, I'm probably going to release the pressure on the nervous system because the nervous system is what controls the tension in my hips anyhow, but it also has been shown to control blood pressure and digestion and all these things. That technique is a very, you barely feel it. You barely feel it. Whether it's the hand adjustment or the instrument adjustment, you barely feel it. And that's what we call the orthogonal upper cervical techniques. So you have nuca, you have orthospinology, you have advanced orthogonal, you have atlas orthogonal, you have epic, you have grostic, and you even have this technique called QSM3. Now, I'm not sure QSM3 if they take x-rays or not. I know they're very global. They look at the whole spine, they look at muscle tension. Tensegrity, yeah. Yeah. So, there again, where how do we define these things? But either way, they would purport to be upper cervical, and they would all be looking at the global realignment of the axial skeleton, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what we call orthogonally based techniques. And by the way, the definition of orthogonality is like a crosshairs in a scope of a rifle where you have a line straight down and a line straight across and 90 degree angles between those two lines. That's orthogonality. Mm -hmm. So my head, if you drew a line down my forehead through my mouth, that's a straight line. A line down my neck, that's another line. And then the top bone in the neck is the atlas. It's a line straight across. That makes crosshairs between your head, your neck, and the C1 bone makes a big giant plus sign. Mm orthogonal techniques are trying to achieve as close to orthogonality as they can, like straightening that finger out nice and straight. Absolutely. That's the ideal, right? Yeah. And I think it's important to know that some of those techniques you named do have the instruments involved and of some of them are done by hand. Yeah. So which of those techniques are done by hand and what's are done by the instrument and yeah. maybe pros and cons of hands versus uh, instrument? Yeah. So again, when it's done right, I would it say the pros- matter, right? It shouldn't matter. The pros and cons should be a wash. If it's done with a high-level practitioner, I would say it should be a wash. Now, if it's a new practitioner, there are some pros and cons. But either way, what I would say in terms of defining it, NUCA is exclusively done by hand. The National Upper Cervical Chiropractic Association, their doctors go through this painstaking process to train and turn their bodies into machines, essentially, you know. So that's done by hand. Orthospinology is an extension or an evolution of what's known as Grostic. So John F. Grostic is really the godfather of all the orthogonal techniques for the most part. There's, again, some debate there, but for the most part he is. When he passed away, Nuka started. Again, that's by hand. And then John D. Grostic also used an instrument on occasion. That was John F. Grostic's son. And uh, when John D. Grostic passed away, some of the family continued the Grostic tradition And some of the instructors, it's a long story how and why, but there was some that stuck with the Grostic name, and then there was some that... Went a little bit of a different direction? Well, I probably shouldn't even open (laughs) the arms. But the bottom line is a lot of instructors, out of necessity, to be honest, is the truth of the matter, started the orthospinology organization. So it wasn't that they wanted to. It was just one of these situations. It was just out of necessity. It was the best thing for the profession. My point is orthospinology is essentially is Grostic. Mm-hmm. And their doctors, for the most part, use instruments, although they do know and they are trained in the Grostic hand adjustment, which is similar to NUCA. There's been some changes, but it's similar. But most of the time, orthospinology is going to be an instrument that's going to percuss. You're going to feel a little pressure, about six pounds of pressure. 
It'll feel a lot like the hand adjustment. It was specifically designed to feel like the hand adjustment. So that's orthospinology, right? And then you have the sound wave percussion instruments, which would be, oh, I'm sorry, by the way, QSM3 is a hand adjustment as well. That's another one. So you have NUCA orthospinology, which is hand and instrument. And then you have QSM3, which is hand, which is very light. QSM3, you barely feel it from what I understand. So those three are kind of on their own, although orthospinology does some instruments or does a lot of instruments actually. But there's a different in the instrument. In the orthospinology instrument, there's a, it actually extrudes out, you know, it'll dimple the skin. You'll feel that a little bit. The other orthogonal techniques are called sound wave percussion instruments. And uh, the best way I have to describe this one, and I, again, I have to apologize. This is a very nerdy, heady, in-depth discussion here. So I appreciate any lay people that are hanging out there with us, but you engineers will love all this. And uh, this is what you asked for in the title. We're going there. We're going deep. <laughs> yeah. So the sound wave percussion is very fascinating. If you've ever seen a Newton's cradle, right? The, the steel balls that are held up by strings. Yeah. And there are five of them in a row. Yeah. And yeah. the one clicks, the three in the middle don't move. And the one on the other side kicks away. And then when it comes back, it clicks. Three in the middle don't move. And the other one goes back away, right? And it kind of clicks back and forth. Tick, tock, tick, tock, back and forth, right? It's called a Newton's cradle. Now, there's a lot of physics involved in that. We're not going to go into it. But here's the bottom line. Imagine, and I'm trying to be verbal here because I know a lot of you guys are listening, not seeing. So imagine you have these five balls in a row and you take the three balls in the middle and you replace them with a steel pencil rod, like a steel rod the size of a pencil, okay? Okay, so I a, see where you're going with this. You have a rod in the center and you have a ball on each side. So you raise the ball up on one side, it clicks the rod, the rod doesn't move. It transfers that vibration to the other side. That vibration is transferred into the other ball, and the other ball kicks away. And then just like before, click, 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 click. But the steel rod in the center does not move. Now, take that steel rod, put it on your neck, and take another ball and hit that steel rod. The rod doesn't move. But there's a transfer of force, a vibration that goes through that rod into your body. Now, the steel ball went away before, but there's no steel ball there. There's just your atlas bone. There's your anatomy. So that anatomy is going to absorb the force transfer, right? But do you feel it? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it fascinating. Yeah. That you don't really feel it. It's this vibration, this sound wave that resonates through your neck and sets the structures. And they have before and after x-rays, just like everybody else in the orthogonal techniques. They take x-rays before and after. And you can see the structures realigning. So you can't argue that it doesn't work because yeah. it has an effect. Now, we got to do the research to see how much of it is that vibration, how much it is the headpiece, how much it is the doctor, how much is it the setup. There's a lot of variables we have to do. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, does it get the job done? The answer is yes. Yes, sir. When it's done right by a professional that's highly trained, it should get the job done. Right? Absolutely. So. Pros and cons of the orthogonal techniques, they are all extremely gentle. You barely feel a thing. So they're very, very safe. They are very, very gentle. I would argue that because their assessments, whether they feel they've made a successful change or not, is based on your structural posture, that they may have a slight advantage on structural issues because they're not going to be satisfied until your hips and shoulders are perfectly level. You know what I mean? Where people who scan more, are satisfied as long as the neurology is clear and your shoulders and hips will come along. You know what I mean? That's kind of the yeah. cultural thing. So if I'm being honest, I think that 
there's a little bit of an advantage if your primary complaint is a structural one. I just get this chronic tension in my neck, shoulders, and back. It just the orthogonal ones, I think, have a little bit of a leg up because they're really paying attention to posture. They're really, really looking at it. Assuming that they're good, that's what they're obsessed with, right? Now, when we go to the other techniques, what's called knee chest upper cervical, Blair upper cervical, and toggle recoil upper cervical, usually those doctors are more concerned with your thermal titron scans, and they want to see changes in your thermal patterns, which is essentially a change in your autonomic nervous system. So the advantage there in my mind is if you have a functional issue, if you have blood pressure or acid reflux or seizures or migraines or vertigo. But guess who did the blood pressure research study? The NUCA people looking at posture and they saw a drop. So that's what I'm saying. We're all doing the same thing, right? But if I was to say a difference, I would say that the knee, chest, blare, and toggle, which we'll talk about in a minute, they tend to scan a little bit more and do less of the standing postural assessments. Yeah. But should yeah. we do be doing standing posture? Yeah, we probably should, you know? So with that being said, what do they do that's different? Well, the x-rays are a little different. So instead of looking at the crosshairs, like the straight finger versus the shrimp, you know, hook finger, we're looking at the knuckles for the most part. We're looking at which individual bone is the offending bone. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so much concerned about the rest of them. I want the one that's the most crooked and I want to fix that one, period. Yeah. End of story, right? And so the adjustment's a little different too. The adjustment, instead of lying down kind of like a little bit turned and a little bit bent, we lie you in a perfect neutral, which again, the other techniques are close to that, but it's a single impulse and it's usually a very lightning quick impulse because when you're trying to move one bone, it's a you little bit- You be different. hanging out over there, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty fast, but you're lying on your side with blare and toggle. It's a single impulse. The headpiece is probably the biggest difference is the headpiece drops a fraction of an inch. Mm -hmm. It's very quick. It's like if you were sleeping in the back of your car and the driver hit a pothole, you just kind of hit that bump, you wake up and you say, did we just hit a pothole? Like, <laughs> you almost forget it even happened because it's so fast and it's so light, you barely feel it as well. But yep. there is a little impulse there that you do feel, but it's so fast and light that 10 seconds after it happened, you forget what it felt like. That's Blair and Toggle. And the only difference between Blair and Toggle is Toggle is like using a hammer. Blair is like using a screwdriver. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of a difference in the tool that's being used. Torque, yeah. Yep. But as a patient, you really don't feel those differences. You just feel the impact, but barely, like I said, but there is a little bit of difference in the type of tooling that we're using. And then knee chest is kind of a, in a totally different field of its own where the head is rotated and supported by a table. Like if you're sleeping on your stomach with your head turned, right, you're in that kind of a position. And then the table also does not move like an orthogonal table. It doesn't move but the adjustment's more like a blare and toggle. So it's kind of like both with your head turned, right? Yeah. So because it's a little bit faster of an impulse, like blare and toggle, but since the headpiece doesn't move, then your neck absorbs that, and you may hear that popping noise in your neck like having your knuckles cracked. Mm -hmm. You know, you may not, but you usually do. And so it's a little bit more, it'll wake you up a little bit more because you'll say, oh, you know what I mean? But when it's done right, you should barely feel it. It shouldn't hurt. These techniques shouldn't, we've done some research on them in the council and almost all of the techniques, almost all of them are about six to eight pounds of pressure within a fraction of a second, right? And so it's all similar force involved. So when it's done right, now pros and cons, for me, the um, blare and toggle, you know, because there is that 
drop mechanism. If someone's in the middle of a pretty bad migraine, it doesn't feel great. Again, if you're driving down the road and you hit a pothole and you have a migraine, it doesn't feel great. If you have a really swollen disc and you hit a pothole, it doesn't feel great. You know what I mean? It's not the adjustment that's doing that to you. It's your problem that needs to be fixed that's doing that to you. It's not, you know what I mean? The adjustment's still gentle and safe, you know, and great. It's just that little, so if I'm being honest, that's the only limitation that I know of. Yeah. The advantage yeah. to Blair is that we adjust people on either side of the neck where we don't have to adjust on the side that the seesaw is high, so to speak. We can go to the low side and lift the seesaw up and get it level. Knee chest, the benefit is that as a doctor, you can feel the segment move under your hand. It's a different feeling. The downside is that it, the patient can also feel it move. So sometimes it's not as comfortable of an adjustment. But again, when these are done correctly, they're all safe. As long as we clear that neurology, if we clear the thermal scan and we balance out the head, shoulders, and hips, you should be on your way to recovering and living a life to your fullest potential. But my encouragement to everybody, no matter what type of issue you're having or none at all, is to get your spine cared for from the top down by a certified specialist that can really take care of you and your family. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There's plenty of options out there. There's usually a dozen or a half dozen around every major city. If you're in super rural areas, it's a little harder, to be honest. Yeah. But, you know, you can go to ucreferral.com. You can go to blairchiropractic.com. You can go to nuca.com. You can go to looking up upper cervical chiropractor in your Google map is risky. But you can do that, and then you can look through their websites if you want to take the time and see if they are certified in their technique system. Yeah, I could go on from there, but it would be more about what makes us separate than what makes us together. So I think that probably answers most of it. But what any specific questions that you may have, Kevin, I'm going to check. I know we're streaming this live right now, and I'm going to check real quick to see if there's any questions from the field, from social media where it's streaming. But um, anything else that you wanted to follow up on, I'm going to be happy to address. Yeah, so I th- you kind of touched on it. Like, how are people going to know which technique to do and where what search engine you use and like we said that is currently being put in place so everybody can look up those sites and find the nearest upper cervical doctor near you and I've even had patients I had a girl fly from uh, Vancouver she was seeing a, a Nuka guy up there she was home for college she wanted to get checked and so I did my analysis in complete respect with his And it was the same objective. So I have no problem referring to any of the other upper cervical techniques. Like you said, if they're good in their field, it really shouldn't matter. Yeah, the clues will be the certifications. You know, you want to see that they're actively pursuing certification. Again, that ucreferral.com will be a resource for that. Now, this is a a very, this is a growing speciality, the diplomate in upper cervical. And UC referral recently added that as a differentiator. So you could certify, you could look to see where's the closest Nuka doctor or Blair doctor or just anybody that's certified. Mm-hmm. And then you could say, but I, I want to see if there's any diplomates in my area. Because if you don't know, and there's all varieties in your town, you could choose any of them. And then, of course, I'm preferential to Blair. I love Blair. But like right. we're saying, you could probably choose any of them as long as they're certified. But you may want to look on the UC referral website is, if they're a diplomate, that's kind of nice because then they have that. Or you know what else? The other, like yourself, Kevin, and others, if they're certified and they've been in practice, and I don't want to disparage anyone that's just recently out of school because there's advantages yeah. to docs coming out of school. They know the latest, greatest stuff that maybe yeah, us timers are, you know. But there is a skill to this work. 
So if it's someone that's been doing exclusive upper cervical for the last 40 years, yeah. that's probably a decent upper cervical yeah. chiropractor. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They've kind of seen it all. I would say that for me, I think in my own personal journey, I was trained very well in school. I did exclusive upper cervical in chiropractic college. So coming out, I would like to think that I was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it took about five years to really get the swing of things. Absolutely. So if, again, I wouldn't think twice about going to a new grad at all. Yeah. If they were in my town, I wouldn't mm-hmm. think twice. But yeah. if I had the options, you know what I mean? And they were all equal, then yeah. I might tend to go to the doc that's been out for longer. If it was differences of five to 10 to 20 years, Absolutely. I, may, I may do that. Because there is something to be said. This is an art form and it does take time. Absolutely. But otherwise... If there's other things, if, if it's closer for you that the new grad is closer, or if you just like their office and their vibe, then go for it. If they're certified, go for it. I mean, it's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. And Doc, is there anywhere for the chiropractic students to, you know, say this, people are looking for opportunities to learn from people, or if there's practices for sale, or yeah. just to get mentored, is there a site where you can see if a practice is for sale, somebody's looking for new associates? Um, is there anything like that that the students can get a head start on? So uh, that's a great, great question. There's a couple resources. Um, number one, the Council on Upper Cervical Care is really where you belong. If you are an upper cervical practitioner or planning on being one, then I would tell you that you really do need to become a member of the Council on Upper Cervical. That's where all of these resources are. And that if they're not made public yet, that's where the resources are being created. So you can help to form these things if they are not yet formed. Mm -hmm. Believe me, we are going to have that. We are working on laying the groundwork for a new website that's going to have all of that, all everything. Now, that being said, a gentleman by the name of Billy Doherty, who's been involved with the upper cervical world for a very long time, he's not an upper cervical chiropractor, he's more of a, a support business to our profession, you know, and he owns UpperCervicalCare.com, which is another place that people can go find doctors. They're not all going to be certified, but they're probably going to be involved in their upper cervical organizations. So UpperCervicalCare.com is a great resource. And then I believe for students, I believe the website is My Healthy Cairo Practice. MyHealthyChiropractice.com, I believe is the site. Okay. If I'm wrong on that, I'll look it up and we'll correct it in the show notes here. But literally, Billy just sent out an email saying, hey, I want to, he has a calendar. And he wants everybody's technique weekends to be in that calendar, right? So all the seminars, all the annuals, that'll be one place. The council's going to do the same thing. Our website is icaupperservical.com. That's where you can register for the symposium every year, the diplomate program, all that. We're going to be expanding that, but it may not actually happen for another year. And then, of course, there's the individual techniques. So if you go to blairtechnique.com, you can see all the Blair seminars. I'm sure if you go to nuca.org or nuca.com, you probably can see theirs, orthospinology, all the other organizations, the Art of the Specific, Knee Chest Upper Cervical, the Knee Chest Institute, you know, all, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Revolution, you know, Ian Davis Tremaine's and, and, and et cetera there. There's all kind of different ones. You just have to look at their individual sites. But the one storehouse will be icaupperservical.com. And we want you to be a part of it if you're a student. Mm-hmm. It's the membership, I think, is like 50 bucks for your entire student career, you're a member, and that allows you to be a part of the conversation. We want to, we want you to be on the committees. We Absolutely. Be involved. Yeah. So, oh, and by the way, Kevin, I'm going to announce something right now. Go for I was going to, I was going to wait to announce <laughs> this 
till in June, but I'm going to announce this to reward the people that have been a part of this vlog or this podcast this whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask that if you hear my voice say this, you keep it under wraps and you don't (laughs) tell anybody. I'm going to tell people in June at the Upper Cervical Symposium in Denver, that's an annual conference, Advances in Spinal Care is what it's called. But for patients, we're talking about students, let's go back to the patients here. For patients, there once was an organization called the International Upper Cervical Advocates Association, IUCPAA. And that was where patients could learn about this kind of stuff that we're having conversations. They could join chapters like support groups Mm. where they could help support their doctor. They could learn about upper cervical. They could learn about other things that are helping. Heaven forbid, we may also need the help of an ophthalmologist or a dentist or a massage therapist. That organization was started by James and Rhonda Tomasi, who inspired me to become an upper cervical chiropractor, by Greg Buchanan. We started the upper cervical branding movement. The whole these people really were part of the reason the council exists today. But the Patient Advocacy Association hasn't really been active for the last five years. And rumor has it that a devilishly handsome upper cervical diplomate president of the Council on Upper <laughs> Cervical is going to be assuming responsibility and directorship of that advocacy association. Beautiful. And so in the future probably near the end of this year, beginning of next, that advocacy association will be available for patients to plug in in all of these ways Beautiful. as a resource. But right now, the best resource you got is to go to the individual technique systems, go to icaupperservical.com, uppercervicalcare.com, myhealthychiropractice.com for the students. And that's, how, that's the best thing I could Beautiful. advise right now. Well, Dr. Buell, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed this episode. Definitely going to have you back on again soon. And, yes, sir. Uh, Pleasure being here. Thank you for all your knowledge and your dedication to the field. Really appreciate it. Same right back at you, Kevin. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, subscribe, give us five stars, and leave a review. It really helps boost the podcast and spread the good word. My chiropractic practice is located in West Orange, New Jersey at Montclair Upper Cervical Chiropractic. You can also find us on Facebook at Montclair Upper Cervical Chiropractic. All of my information is on my website at drkevinpecka.com, drkevinpecka.com. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Dr. Kevin Pecka for podcast episodes, patient testimonials, and educational videos. I have daily affirmations and inspirational quotes on Instagram at Easel Affirmations, E-A-S-E-L Affirmations. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at drkevinpecka at gmail.com, drkevinpecka at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Cheers.